speed probably to the first um, 12 verses and then a few verses at the end of chapter 4. So we're looking at crossing the Jordan tonight and in chapter 4 the memorial that came about because of that crossing. So let's read God's word. Early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who were Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they went, took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Gershkinites, Amorites, and Jezbunites. See, the hawk of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away to a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Araba, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had Finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell him to take out twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God at the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the floor of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off 
These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over there, there to their camp where they had put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones at the bed in the middle of the Jordan, at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priest who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. And as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priest came to the other side while the people watched. Verse 21, Joshua speaking to the people of Israel, he said to the Israelites, in the future when your ascent descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just as what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The Lord bless that reading from his word. Now let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would guide us in the preaching of your word tonight. Pray that you would speak in whichever way you would choose to the Lord, the people that you've gathered to hear this word. I pray, Lord, that you'll guide me, that you'll remind me what I should say, and Lord, maybe things that I should forget, Lord, you just take away as I preach this, your word. Speak, Lord, in the stillness while we wait on thee. Hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Amen. <clears throat> so very briefly, last time, when we looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, we'd seen that Moses had died and his, um, you could say, anointed and appointed person, Joshua, was ready to fill his boots. We read that in the end of Deuteronomy, that all that had taken place, he'd been prayed for and blessed. He was his, his assistant. And we also saw that there was reassurance from God to Joshua that as he was with Moses, so he'd be with him. And then we saw, again, in a sense, a reflection of what happened with Joshua and Caleb when they were in, in the desert, when they, when they went out spying, and they came back with a good report, didn't they? And we saw in chapter 2, again, spies were sent out. Um, not Joshua this time, but others, and they went into the house of Rehab. And we, we learned the story, didn't we, from that of the Scarlet Cord and how Rehab became part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So tonight, continuing gleanings in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're, we're trying to get across that John tonight and see what it's all about. Um, and look at that memorial when we come to chapter 4 and what's its significance historically and to ourselves as Christian, 21st century Christians. We will travel with the children of Israel in their journey across this river tonight and see what we can learn. First, a reminder, though, that to get to this point, the children of Israel had 
been spoken to by God, you have encompassed this mountain long enough. Deuteronomy 2.3 says, the word compassed in Hebrew is, don't get hungry, folks, for your supper kebab. <laughs> it means to evolve. It may, may be translated to go in circles. <laughs> Israel had been to the very borders. Remember, they'd been there previously then. Um, they bottled it, didn't they? They, they saw... And the reports came back, but instead of believing what the spies had said, Joshua and, and Caleb, they decided to bottle it. They, didn't want the, they weren't up for the battle at that time, and they went back. Um, discouraged. Um, rather believe um, a bad report than a good report. And 40 years, and after that unbelieving generation, the Bible tells us when they had to die before, the River Jordan would become that place where everything would change and there'd be a new start for the children of Israel. It was God's time and God's purposes. You have encompassed this mountain long enough. The first thought that came to me, and a lot of these are just how God has spoken to me, is this. First thought is, we live tonight in the day of grace. God is a patient God, infinitely patient, not wishing that any should perish, but all would come to salvation. But there will be a day when God says, Tina, you've encompassed this mountain long enough. You've gone far enough. We're seeing creations groaning, aren't we, around us? And the Bible says that Creation groans, awaiting the redemption of the sons of God. Fallen people, fallen creation, but there will be a day when God will say, time out. Enough's enough. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time will be no more. So, with that thought in mind, we'll move on now to the crossing of the River Jordan. First thought that the Lord led me was, um, I could put under the head and listening and obeying to those who seek to guide us. So early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before cross, crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, telling them when the ark moves that they were to move and follow it. And that's important, just a very small point. God's People are meant to listen to those in leadership. Joshua was to speak to them as well and encourage them. Um, listen to the words of God. You'll know that God, that God was, will be with us when we have to fight those battles. So Joshua was encouraging the leaders and the officers were guiding and leading. And praise God, the people of God were willing for to listen. So it might seem a simple point, but that's what God has shown me to bring before you tonight. We are meant to listen to God's chosen leaders in authority over us. I trust that they do encourage us as well as challenge us. And God uses that in different ways as he did this morning through David, through the preaching of his word. Um, by the guiding and leading of his Holy Spirit through the leadership um, to the church leaders our under shepherds. So think about that. Within those first verses, there was orders given 
They were told in verse 5 to consecrate themselves before they went over. That's important. All the people were told just to basically stand still and think about what was going to happen. A bit like the Lord's table, examine yourselves. They were to examine themselves, sanctify their thoughts, and be ready spiritually for what was going to happen and what would be seen and unveiled to them. Moving on, second point is, is this, see the ark of the covenant of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord um, shall set foot in the Jordan, its waters will, flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Now we've got a picture up of the ark of the covenant now. Quite a thing, isn't it? They were told to keep at least nearly um, 900 metres, nearly a kilometre as they moved away from it. It was such a, um, a symbol to the, to the Israelites um, of God's presence and God's one of the more symbolic icons of, to the people of Israel. And in lots of cases we see in, in when, when the Ark of the Covenant is moved out from the tabernacle, God uses that to allow the people to see that he's with them and he's, he's fighting for them. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant is central in this crossing over. Can you just imagine the people of God crossing over and the sun might be shining. I don't think the Lord picked a rainy day for this. <laughs> Can you imagine that glistening as the people of God moved across in this um, epic event. Um, so that ark's origin we know in Exodus 25 he was in, Moses was instructed to make an ark of Keshe wood we know it had a mercy seat where God said the mercy seat where God would gel he said there above the cover between the two cherubims that are over the ark of the covenant I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelite nation so there we have it the the Ark of the Covenant would be central in that crossing over, signifying that God was with them, his presence was with them. And really, just a, a thought there, an obvious thought, all of the types and shadows in the Ark of the Covenant are fulfilled, aren't they, in our Lord Jesus Christ, who meets us daily in the power of his Holy Spirit. God is with us. He walks with us as we sang step by step. He is monitor to our souls. Because we know inside that ark was a pot of manna, uh, the rod of Aaron, and the, the covenant. Those three items is there. And God fulfills all of those. He's monitor to our souls, the living word, the God of covenant, who is fulfilling all of his plans and purposes in his purposes for his church and his people. And he's the miracle working God. It's so easy to go through this and forget we see in such a miracle tonight the God who drew back the Red Sea, as it says at the end of chapter 4, is also the God who put that gap. Um, some um, commentators say at least 10 mile gap. Right up there. I knew I'd get Adam in. Adam's in again tonight, folks. Right up to Adam and right down 
um, to, the, to the Dead Sea. What a miracle, and they would have passed through that. Now, it's interesting that Joshua wisely put his best fighting tribes at the front of the body of people. Now, think about this. Thought that God came to me. Not knowing what would be up the other side when he got across. And again, commentators vary on the width of Jordan at this point. Some talking about miles. Um, at points, the Jordan can be, they say, 15 miles wide. And at other point, 6 miles wide. It can vary. I was speaking to Ben this morning. He says, well, Jordan today is a different Jordan from then. He says, I wouldn't like to set foot in it. And I read that too. But not knowing what might lie at the other side of Jordan at Gilgal. He's going from west to east. And I thought about this. I thought, there was God saying to Joshua, I'll be with you. Everything's going to be fine. And I'll, I'm going to exalt you this day from all of the people. Yet, still, Joshua got the best fighting men from the best of the tribes. And they would go forward first so they'd be at the forefront. And God just said to me, you know, we ask to trust God will be with us in all our struggles and difficulties in life, but that does not remove our part in doing all that can be done using sanctified common sense as God leads us and guides us. Do you say amen to that? If I was to say it here now tonight in the midst of this financial crisis, if I was to say, look, I'm standing here, I, I put my central eating on 24-7 because God will provide all my needs. I'll say, well, that's a bit silly, Kevin. I know he'll provide all your needs, but you've got to live within your means as well. Is that true? So do you get where I'm trying to come from on that one? Because he said that, it doesn't mean that God would want us to not be wise in our stewardship of our lives as we are at this point of time. So Joshua put all the fighting men in the front. Now I want us to think about, probably one of the main thoughts I've got as well, is about movement. Movement, what do I mean by that? The Red Sea was just a prelude to Jordan. The Lord wants us to move from Egypt and the Red Sea speaks of sin and deliverance. Um, and I believe Jordan speaks of us, um, our movement forward to that walk of faith that Jordan symbolizes to the victorious Christian life, the abundant life that God wants us to live in and enjoy. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Because, I said that last time, Jordan crossing over isn't getting into heaven. There's battles, there was battles, there was land to be won for God in God's plan and purposes. And I believe that's part of the Christian life as well. It's lovely to come to church, isn't it, and worship, to relax among other Christians. But it's very often the step into the world that we live in, in reality, day by day, in our workplaces or in retirement. A world that is anti-Christian. The devil, the world, and the flesh is against us. And I just want us to think about this, this idea of movement. I want us to think about steps. Remember, then priest took that first step into the Jordan, didn't they? The Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant with the people 900 meters back. I want us to think about walking by faith. I want us to think about 
that statement that says, how do the people cross in verse um, 10 of chapter 4, they crossed, my, my translation says, in a hurry. And I want us to think as well, not only about steps and walking, Christians being in a hurry, but a place as well where we need to be still and we need to find a place of rest. Because we'll find Joshua is mentioned in Hebrews. Something that Joshua could not achieve, Jesus achieved for us. And we'll look at that. So the first thought, that step of faith. Um, Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. And what did he say? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, that was an important step. But was it as important as that first dipping tours of the priest as they come to the River Jordan? But importantly tonight, we need also to take that first step of faith moving into the kingdom of God by faith and repentance. Do you remember your first step of faith? I trust you can. I trust that you realize that um, sin has been brought to your knowledge through the preaching of the gospel in this church. And maybe you think, hold on, what do I need to do with this? I need to take that step of faith. Looking at the cross, looking at the message of Jesus, work for me. And I need to be, as David said this morning, not those who in Adam but hallelujah transferred into Christ. The one who was our second Adam who died for our sins that we might be clothed in his righteousness. Do you remember your first step of faith? And once we have taken that step, we begin that walk of faith as we metaphorically run the race of faith all our days until Jesus comes or calls. Someone preached recently, didn't they, about the race, <laughs> but we're walking and running at the same time. The idea is that we are moving, we are not standing still. The steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. And we dip our feet each day metaphorically in the Jordan. Each day of our lives as a Christian, when I wake in the morning, metaphorically is Myself and Mary come to prayer. We dip our feet metaphorically into a new day. And how much we need to pray, folks. Lord, give us the grace and the strength and the wisdom that we might win the battles of this day and glorify you. Because we do not know what each day may bring. Praise God. But maybe that step has another meaning too. As we face the battles of day, maybe there's a challenge that God has been into your life now. There might be a step that God is asking you to take. There might be a step also that God wants you to make some change in your life and you've hesitated from that step. Praise God, we can take the step of faith. And I trust there's none tonight who've maybe took that step of dipping their toes into the waters of the Christian faith and then drew back. 
Think of that rich young ruler who came so close, didn't he? How do I get into the kingdom of God? Jesus spoke to him, didn't he? And what did he do? A man who had much riches, he walked away. And many do that, don't they? And turn away. We need to make that small step of faith and trust that God can keep us where he leads me. Imagine the scene, or the priest standing then in the middle of the Jordan, all in firm, the Ark of the Covenant, as the people crossed over. Imagine it gleaming in the sun. I wonder what the thoughts were in the minds as they passed this more sacred and venerated of Israel's iconic identity. Now let's think about this. How did they pass? I read in chapter 4, it says, it might seem a little thing, but God spoke to me about this. It says in verse 10, um, sorry, it says, just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over. You think, well, without for a stroll to walk in the park. No, it says in my version, they hurried over. Now, how many crossed? Some speculate 2.5 million. A gap of 10 miles opened up by God. The Ark of the Covenant, the priests having to stand there till all the people crossed to the other side into Gilgal. But I want us to think about that. The people of God in a hurry. To talk about movement, talk about the step, I've talked about the walk. There's the people of God. Now, I might say to you tonight, should Christians ever be in a hurry? Somebody look at us and say, Kevin, if you only knew my dear. <laughs> what a rush each morning to get those kids to school. And the school room, back, work, tea, cleaning, outdoor activities. You know, that's a fair comment, isn't it? We live busy lives. But this is what the Lord said to me. As Jack says, what God would have me say tonight. In a hurry. We should be in a hurry to run to the Saviour with our needs in prayer. We should be in a hurry to meet with him at some point and commend our day to him. We should be in a hurry to pray with that knocking on the door of importunity. We should be in a hurry to get the church to be amongst God's people for fellowship and worship in that place where we can lift our hearts and voices to him. Amen? In a hurry to get to church. In a hurry, too, to get away from that sin that so easily besets us. In a hurry to evangelize. Maybe that soul, as the Bible said, that we save as brands from the fire. You know, at times our hearts are so cold to the obvious of people who need to hear, as David says, those words that point us to the second Adam and to salvation. At times, it's if we've got lead wellies on. Um, we pray God at times, give us opportunities, and sometimes we don't take those opportunities. Sometimes we do. But if you're a non-Christian tonight, if you've never took that step of faith, should you be in a hurry? I believe you should be in more than a hurry. I, should be, I believe you should be in a place 
while you flee from the wrath that is to come, unless you embrace the Savior and accept the forgiveness of your sins that he offers and gives. God's people were not hurried across Jordan. In a hurry can be a good thing, but it's also good to find time to be still and know that he is God. How many sea laws do we read in the book of Psalms that we ought to pause, to stop and reflect? Is it time for us to be still? Is it time for us to just relax and contemplate that all that God accomplished for us through his Son. And having contemplated that, we need to embrace it with faith. With faith. And then we need to fix it like a nail, as the Bible says, in a shoe place. Remember, all those who travelled through the desert died because of their unbelief. They did not mix the promises of God with faith. And they did not find the rest. Hebrews 4, here we have Joshua again. A Sabbath rest for the people of God. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who went to God's rest also rest from their works just as God did from his. Joshua couldn't give them rest. They were going into battle. But we can find rest. The rest of faith is the gospel that says, as we heard this morning, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. My rest, when I just stay still, because I'm a very active person and a restless person, you ask Mary, that should tell you. But I've got a rest. There is a rest for the people of God. And that rest is in Jesus. Amazingly, he is that high priest in the order of Melchizedek who is where now? Seated at the right hand of God. I remember I've said this before. The priest could never sit down in the temple because there was never a seat there. But Jesus completed the work of salvation to such an extent, just like you are tonight, folks. You're sitting down. I'm pleased you are. So I want you to think of movement that now you are still. Now you are seated. And what I'm not trying to say is we enter into God's rest when we enter into Jesus' rest. Does that make sense? He's completed the work. And by resting in what he's completed, we can find rest as well. The Christian life is a hard life. It struggles. But we can find rest for our souls. Next point. Very important one. It says, when the people broke camp, verse 14, they crossed the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in full flood all during the harvest. There wasn't a little gentle stream going past. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's head, the water from upstream stopped flowing and, and, and down to the, to the Dead Sea. And it says in verse 17, this is the important verse, the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood firm on dry ground. Stood firm on dry ground. The priest's feet stood 
firm on dry ground. What am I trying to say? Thank God our great high priest stood firm till he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied and secured our eternal salvation in a once and for all act of atonement on Calvary's cruel cross. In the temptation of the wilderness, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He took them to the high place and showed them the kingdom of the world and said, all this is yours if you'll worship me. Jesus answered, worship the Lord your God and serve him. Jump off from this high tower, he says, and um, as the, the commandment says, command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Do not put the Lord God to your test. Hallelujah. His feet stood firm in that temptation in the wilderness. In the garden of Gethsemane, it says he withdrew about a stone's throw before them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours. And the angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops falling to the ground. But then he arose and went back to his people and exhausted from sorrow, but his feet, hallelujah, his feet stood firm. Then Jesus was arrested. Um, it says in Matthew 26, Judas comes with the twelve, and the one I kiss is the man Judas did arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, What? You've got the wrong man. No comment. <laughs> Do what you come for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. His feet stood firm. Hallelujah. Put your sword back in its place as one struck the ease off one of the man. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus could have did that, couldn't he? But he didn't because he was on that road and path to the cross for the redemption of his people. His feet stood firm. Therefore, and the lesson and application for us is, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who was ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly, hold firmly to the faith we profess. For Jesus, able to sympathize with our weakness, yet he did not sin. So he stood firm, hallelujah, we can stand firm. Why? Because our rest is a rest of faith in him. There is a rest for the people of God. And the people went across on dry ground. Thank God his feet stood firm. I think that requires a hallelujah at this point. No, no. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Right. Chapter 4, very quickly. So then, there's this great epic event. The ark going across, the people crossing. And God wants to commemorate this event. How does he do it? 
He chooses 12 men. <laughs> they have to go into the center of the, of the River Jordan where the Ark of the Covenant be, and they were to pick up 12 little pebbles. No, it says they had to get a stone on their shoulders and carry them back across and put them at the other side. So an epic event requires, doesn't it, uh, a remembrance. I've got something here. I've got out my stamp book this afternoon. I've still got my stamp book from my childhood. And that's the picture of two footballers on. Guess where it is, Frank? 1966. <laughs> and they the brought a stamp out. Some of you live like um, Johnny near a monument on top of a hill. That was erected as a memorial to who? Lord Lampton. Um, a local coal owner by subscription. <laughs> Still detested by many in the mining community who remember the true history of what those mining days were about. But that's me saying that. Every little village and town in our country has a war memorial remembering what? Those who've died and gave their service for this nation. And there's a, nat uh, a national arboreum, top arboreum as well. So we can focus on that. So Joshua asked that these 12 stones be took to the other side and placed there as a memorial for the epic events so that they could recount this to their children and future generations. What do they mean? <laughs> that the people passed over on dry ground. And you think, wow. What does that teach us tonight? What is the memorial that God has given us, nearly there folks, to the most epic event in history, which is what? The death of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary, the hill of the skull, where Jesus died for what reason? Isaiah chapter 53 says, Despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain like one whom men hide their faces, despised, classed as low esteem. But he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Twelve stones. Memorial for the crossing over Jordan. What is the memorial that God requires of us for the epic event of Calvary? Is it that churches put in their windows stained glass? Is it that God requires every county in the nation to have a cathedral with a big spire on it? Is it that a country like Brazil has a huge statue called Christ the Redeemer overlooking their land? Is it that every church has on its wall a cross? Now all those things, in case you think, oh, where's Kevin going to here? All those things are symbols and used by various people for various means. What is the simple thing that God requires as that memorial? And I think you've, you should know by now what I'm going to do, don't you? 
The simple memorial that God wants and all that scripture asks of is this and this, the bread and the wine. For I received from the Lord that which I also have passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, took bread and when he given thanks. You know the words. How simple those emblems are, the sacrament. How, how much believers should glorify God through these simple things. Don't get me wrong, the cross reminds us of the place where Jesus died. But God said the memorial was these things. How many times today, how many times in the history of God's people, as people broke the bread and drank the cup in remembrance of what? His death until he comes. Who are to partake of these? Those who are in Adam or those who are in Christ? Tells us that, doesn't it? Examine yourselves. Rightly so, those who lead the service of the breaking of bread or the sacrament or communion should rightly say, do not partake of these things unless you've taken that step of faith, unless you're walking by faith and you're living that life that glorifies him. It even says, brother and sister, if you've fallen out with another Christian and you haven't put it right, don't come to that table, but seek out first of all and sort out. Why do we need memorials? Why do we need memorials? Final thoughts. Because of forgetfulness. Even Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He commented that we would even forget the Lord's death if it wasn't for the reminder provided by the communion service. That's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Remember, you think, well, surely we'll not forget the cross and everything Jesus done for that. But remember, even Hebrews tells us about the lack of memory of the children of Israel. They'd witnessed the ten plagues. They'd been provided by the money. They drank from the water, from the rock. They'd gaze in amazement at the, in Mount Sinai when the trumpet blew and loud clasps of thunder. And the presence of the Lord made them tremble. Yet when Moses disappears on the mountain, what do they do? Fall down and say, let's worship God. No, they decided let's have a party instead. A Hellenistic party. How could they be so foolish? How could they forget everything they received from God? Knowing my heart and knowing human nature, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So I can believe that, knowing the folly and the depth of sinfulness within humanity. Our memories are short and we can easily forget what we, what we should really remember. So spiritual amnesia is our folly from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is full of calls to remember, remember, remember. So in conclusion, they crossed over, <laughs> hallelujah, they got from um, 
west to east, from Shittim to Gilgal, the memorial, the stones were erected as a memorial. The people, when they crossed over, when they all crossed, stood there and watched. That's a, that's a lovely thing as well. They stopped and watched as the priests came out when they were called to do so by Joshua. Final thought is this. Memorials. What memorial will we leave to say we've been in this world as a Christian believer? What will we leave behind for our church, community and family and for our own family? The world will never applaud us. You know that, don't you? The world will never applaud us. But it's not the plaudits of the world that we look for, but God's word that says, well done, good and faithful servant. And really the final words should come to God. And those final words I read is this. The Lord your God to the did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Two amazing miracles in Epic which seem very similar. Why did he do it? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord God is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Reverence the Lord, fear the Lord, the powerful God, the God of love, but also the God of wrath as well. He who has the Son is life, but he who has not the Son, the wrath of God remains. And nobody wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear a gospel of love and peace, but the reality is, as David said this morning, we are either in Christ or we are in Adam. And at the end of the day, if you don't take that step of faith into the forgiveness and the peace that Jesus offers, then the wrath of God remains upon an individual's life. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth, the people in this congregation tonight, might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge when we realize who he is and what he can do that will lead us on those steps that will take us to that place of that step of faith to reach out and trust him for our eternal salvation. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for what You've revealed to us tonight. I pray, Lord, whichever way you've chose to speak to your people, Lord, that we'll have hearts and ears that would receive your word and, Lord, act upon it according to how you've spoken to us. To you be the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.